welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We've been in a series called Arise, and this is a series that our community life pastor, Ben Barnhart, has envisioned and put together for the Lenten season. Lent is a A theme here in the city of Cleveland, particularly a Catholic city. So some of you may be familiar with the season of Lent and what it means. It means maybe to you different things, fish fries every Friday or whatever it means to you. The word itself, Lent, means to lengthen our days. We're asking uh, the Father that spring, spring will come. Spring will come. The resurrection, the hope of the resurrection, not just in season we're saying spring will come, but we're saying new life will come in the hope of the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, what we're after in the series, as I understand it from Ben, is that we would really put wheels on our faith. These things that we do culturally during Lent, in almsgiving or giving to the poor or Ash Wednesday, what's that all about? That we would really seek to put wheels on our faith and say, Lord, what lengthen our days. We want to just draw close to you. What does this season mean? And so last week, Ben did an excellent job on prayer, on invocation, on inviting God's word to come and take hold of us, that the presence of Jesus would follow us. That's really what we're about at Vineyard. We're we're people of God's presence. We long for, we need, we desire God's presence above any other agenda in the house this morning. It's his presence. If it's not for his presence, what, what are we doing here? You know? And so we love God's presence, and Ben led us so wonderfully last Sunday. And this Sunday, we want to get at remembering the poor, remembering the poor. And uh, I wanted to start with a story of a group of young uh, seminary students. Around about 35 years ago, there was a group of young seminary students. They were all like 21, 22 years old. And they were doing a Bible study on the poor and injustice. And so what they did was they went through their Bible and they underlined or circled every verse in the Bible that had to do with the poor or injustice and God's heart towards the poor. And what they found is that it was a major theme in the Bible, the poor. And the incredible thing was that they found several thousands of Bible verses regarding the poor and God's response to injustice. They found that the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it was the second most prominent theme in the Hebrew Bible. Second, next to idolatry. And in fact, the two, idolatry and injustice, especially to the poor, were often united. They found that one out of every 16 verses in the New Testament is related to the poor or money. And they found that one out of 10 verses in the Gospels is related to the poor and money. And one out of seven verses in the book of Luke is related to poor and money. In the Old Testament, we read stuff like this. Let me just show you. In Deuteronomy... Chapter 15, verses 10 and 11, we read this. Give generously to him and do do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you 
in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. And then we read in Proverbs, I love this one. This is like one of my favorite. In Proverbs nineteen seventeen, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. We'll dig into that one in a minute, but that not that wonderful? He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And then our passage this morning in Isaiah 58, I wanted to go ahead and read the whole chapter, if that's okay. There's something powerful about reading the word of God aloud. We don't do it enough in Western churches, and I wanted to read the whole passage. It's a little bit longer, but I think it's what the Lord's saying this morning. So in Isaiah 58, we read this. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their uh, rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. If they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God, they ask me, for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Ouch. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This is God speaking. Is that what you call a fast, dudes? Is not this kind of fasting, is, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him? And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression. With the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves, I love this. And if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Pause. Isaiah doesn't write. (laughs) Isaiah doesn't write. It's interesting how, 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 how does our light rise in the darkness? It just flies in the face of like social media culture. Isaiah does not write, take more selfies of yourself and then you'll be insta-famous and your light will rise. 
like the noonday sun. No, spend yourselves on behalf of the poor and the hungry. It's like exactly opposite. I love it. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Come on. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath... And from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking with idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. So good. It's interesting how Isaiah, as he's speaking for God there, says that the people who bring life to the city, the people who restore the city, are the ones who care for the poor. The ones who come broken. And the ones who satisfy the needs of the hungry. The ones who break the bonds of injustice. They're the ones who get the keys to the city. They're the ones who get to rebuild Cleveland, are the ones who care for the poor. So good. In the New Testament, we find verses all over the New Testament, like I said before, in Acts 11, 27 through 30. I'm not going to read them all. James, I'll read this one, James 1, 22 through 27. Do not merely listen to the word, James says, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself or herself religious, and yet does not keep a tight rein on his or her tongue, they deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's the religion that God accepts. So we find in not just the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, that we cannot call ourselves a Christian if we do not help the poor. We can't follow Jesus if we don't help the poor. This group of evangelical students who went through and underlined every passage that dealt with the poor or injustice, they felt like they should go through a little experiment. Because through their recollections, 
They had never heard a sermon preached on the poor. They heard things talked about the rapture and about the second coming. They heard a lot of things about homosexuality, about what we should and should not do. But they didn't hear about a sermon preached on the poor. So what one of these students decided to do was to take every underlined passage and cut, 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 cut it out of the Bible, out of his Bible. So anything that dealt with the poor, he just snipped it out. So that verse in Deuteronomy that we read, he snipped it out. The verse about the year of Jubilee, where Israelite landowners canceled the debts of the poor after seven years, snip, 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 cut it out. Even, the, even the, uh, Mary's prayer in the New Testament that we call the Magnificat, when she says that the poor are blessed because of Jesus coming, cut, 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 they cut it out. And so after he had cut out every verse that had dealt with the poor or injustice, he found that his Bible was just shredded. Just shredded. And he carried that Bible around for like 50 years in his ministry. And every time he gave a sermon on the poor, he brought that Bible forward and he said, here's your Bible, America. It's full of holes. Here's your Bible, shredded. God loves the poor. God defends the poor. God protects the poor. God identifies with the poor. We'll get into more of what that means. But at Vineyard Cleveland, we want a church, uh, we want to be a part of a church that's bringing life to the city. Intrinsic in that means that we do not exist for ourselves at Vineyard Cleveland. We say it another way. We say um, at Vineyard Cleveland that the church is missional in its definition. If the church only exists for itself, it may be a lot of things, but it's not a church. It might be a religious club. If it doesn't exist for others, it might be a religious club. It might be a country club. It might be as my former pastor, Rich Nathan, affectionately calls a bunch of puppies in a pen licking one another. Lick, lick, lick. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you doing? How is your inner child? Lick, lick, lick. How are we doing? But if the church does not exist for others, it's not a church at all. You're just a part of a religious club, man. This comes, of course, this language from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was put in a concentration camp by Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime, from his uh, book, uh, Letters to a Friend. And he says, if the church is not missional, it's not a church. We must exist for something bigger than ourselves. That's where we find belonging. It's so tiring. I can't find my place in this church. Where do I belong? Well, have you tried serving someone else? Other than yourself. I'm not loading a heap of guilt on you. I'm preaching to myself this morning. But have you tried serving someone else? Once you start serving other people, you'll be over the moon at your church. Whatever church it is. Not just this one. Any church in Cleveland. If you start serving other people, I guarantee you will feel a sense of belonging to those people and to that vision and to those values of that place. Because the tie between service, serving others, and belonging and identity is intertwined. You can't separate them. That's when we belong, when we start serving one another. 
specifically the poor. So who, who are the poor in Scripture? Who are the poor? We're told over and over again that the poor are the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Mainly because in that society, a highly patriarchal kind of place, if um, a woman lost her husband, they were, there was no uh, insurance. There was nothing. She was basically cut out of society with nothing. She could provide nothing for her kids. So we're told over and over again in Scripture that the poor are the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Look at Deuteronomy 24, 17 through 22. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I commanded you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I have commanded you to do this. The foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow is where God's heart resides. Basically, what Scripture is saying to us is that the poor in the Word of God are those who live on the knife edge of survival who don't know how they're going to make it from one minute to the next. You say, that's great. Who are the poor today? Who are the poor today? That's great. That's in the pages of Scripture thousands of years ago. Who are the poor today? Well, you don't have to look far once your eyes are open to see who the poor are today. And these are just a few categories, but there are definitely more Categories: The poor today would be the homeless, the hungry, the unborn, the uninsured, on and on and on. Those are just three categories. The homeless, the hungry, and the unborn. Think of these questions. Who is vulnerable? Who is vulnerable? Who is powerless? Who are the people living on the knife's edge of survival. Those people are poor. I'll tell you who they are in Cleveland. HUD estimates that, well, first in our nation, HUD estimates in our nation that there are 554,000 Americans who are homeless. It's close. That's over half a million. In Cleveland, there are more than 22,000 people who are homeless every year, or that equates to 4,000 to 4,300 people who are homeless every night in Cleveland. Based on census data and the Department of Education, their definition of homelessness, we estimate that there are around 23,000 people, around 10% of those living in poverty who experience homelessness every year in the county, in Cuyahoga County. 
We'll hear about this more in the months to come. But the same census from the Department of Education estimates that there are over 3,000 homeless students in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County alone. That's kids. You know, typically we have this idea of homelessness and what it looks like in people, that it's the drug-addicted adult male who is homeless, but the statistics, reality tells us different. We're told that 3,000 kids under the age of 18 are homeless in Cuyahoga County. The percentage of people in Cuyahoga County living in abject poverty, abject poverty, the definition is a household income of less than 50% the national poverty rate. The national poverty rate for an individual is just around 11 grand. So the rate of those living in abject poverty in Cuyahoga County is 9% of the county's population total. That means the profile estimated that there are over 460,000 individuals with household incomes less than 200% of the federal poverty rate or 37% of Cuyahoga County's population. That's crazy, y'all. So why do I give you all of these stats? What does the Bible teach about having money? What does the Bible teach about having money? Well, we just did a series. Jeff envisioned a series for us on 1 Timothy, and here we find ourselves back in 1 Timothy. What does the Bible teach about money? Well, the Bible teaches that we can be material, materially wealthy and spiritually impoverished at the same time. 1 Timothy 6 17 through 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's key verse there. Take that for now. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, When the kingdom comes, when the kingdom comes, give to the poor, there's going to be treasure for you. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So the Bible stays away from two extremes. The Bible stays away from the extreme of materialism on one hand. Talks about the dangers of the love of money here in 1 Timothy. But the Bible also avoids the extreme of the danger of asceticism. Meaning that like, it's not bad to have good things. It's not bad to have a roof over your head. It's not bad to have a great job where you make good money. It's not bad to have a nice car. Those things are not bad. So, what shouldn't you feel? You shouldn't walk away this morning feeling guilty. Please know that this is my heart and the heart of the church here at Vineyard Cleveland. We don't want you walking away feeling guilty. However, for like not giving enough, you know, or for whatever reason that you, that you would feel that way. But we would want you to feel responsible 
that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are responsible to help the poor. If you don't do it, who else will? So please don't walk away feeling guilty. I don't give enough. What a worm I am. No, feel responsible that this is the Savior that you follow. You follow Jesus, who is a friend to the poor, and a friend to you. We'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. But it's not bad to have nice things. Don't feel guilty. Please walk away feeling responsible. In other words, you are blessed to be a blessing to other people. We're talking about rivers and streams, not reservoirs. We want to see followers of Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus who becomes a river for the blessing of God to flow through that current in my heart, the life and the power of the Holy Spirit as a river Not a reservoir that just stores up treasure and looks to buy the next good thing. That next pair of new shoes is not going to fill the void in your heart. That next nice thing for your house, that decoration, it's not found at Target. It's not found at Walmart even. It's not even found at Crocker Park. You can't find spiritual fulfillment at Crocker Park. You cannot. You can't find spiritual fulfillment at Crocker Park. That'll preach. (laughs) And what the Bible says is that, and it's all over the word of God, is that we as followers of Jesus, especially in this age, need to be very cautious about material wealth. We need to be cautious because we can think that because we have things materially, we also have the favor of God on our lives. And the two are not intertwined at all. Okay, Manny wants to hear it again. That's the only reason I'm saying it again. We can begin to think. That's what First Timothy is saying. Lest you become arrogant. What's he talking about? He's saying we can, we can begin to think that because we have things and we have all of our needs met materially, that we are also spiritually favored by God. And that is not synonymous. That is not true. Does that work for you, Manny? Okay. And at the same time, the Bible never says that having things is bad. So, this is the crazy part. In Proverbs, where we read that he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Think about that for a minute. This is God's heart. I love this. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. You may say, this is crazy. That means that God... Is when you are kind to the poor that God is in your debt? And you say, Oh, I could never, I could never think that way about God. God wouldn't, He's holy. He's, 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 he's the, he's the king of everything. 
He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God is never in my debt. God, I could never say that. Well, God says, I'll say it for you. If you are kind to the poor, you lend to the Lord. In other words, you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. <laughs> you cannot take it with you when you go. No, you cannot. All of this stuff, this sweater, this building, this place, you cannot take it with you where we're headed. And where we're headed is the rule and reign of God coming here, the kingdom of God. Yes, you cannot take it with you when you go. You will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul, but you can send it forward before you, is what the Lord is saying. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. God says, I'll say it for you. I'll be in your debt. You care for these people, these people who the majority of the world has marginalized, who has forgotten, they've forgotten about them, who oppresses them intentionally. You care about these people. You're caring about my people. And now I'm in your debt. Because these people are my people. I love these people. So why should we help the poor? Well, right off the bat, we should help the poor because we were once poor and God helped us. We were once poor and God helped us. Deuteronomy 10, 19. And you are to love those who are foreigners for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. This is what it means. Do you know there's never a time that you come to God without being in need? When you come to God, you have to come in need. You cannot come to God any other way than in need. I challenge you to find any other way to get to God. You won't find it. Because when you come to God, you have to come in need. That's the way it works. So we should care about helping the poor. We should help the poor because... God says that we were once poor. We were once that way. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. No other way to get to God the Bible continually reminds us of what state we were found in when God found us. And if you don't believe that you were rescued from a state of need, then you don't understand salvation. If you're not out of place where, where you can sing with all of your heart, I need you, God, from a place of utter desperation and need then you don't understand the gospel. I'm sorry, but you don't. If I, if I come with anything into, into the picture of salvation, if I, bring, I can't bring anything in there. I don't bring anything to the equation. That's what the gospel is. Jesus plus nothing. I bring nothing. You bring nothing. Anything more and you're... You're, you're religious. You may be religious, 
but you don't follow Jesus. You and I bring nothing to the table and he brings everything to us. So we should care about the poor because we were once poor and God helped us. What are the reasons that we do not help the poor? There are many. Some of those reasons include political. You say, I don't want to be a bleeding heart liberal. I don't want to be a conservative. Whatever it is, whatever your excuse is for not helping the poor as it relates to politics. But the church can address poverty in a way that politics cannot. Because the church is God's rescue plan for the world. And politics can't do what the church can bring together in resource. Think of it this morning. You're sitting next to someone who probably doesn't agree with you politically. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) It is. Yes, it is wonderful that the church is filled with different types of people politically. That's why when the church operates as the church should operate, as Jesus' hands and feet in the world. It's the most powerful, dare I say, organization, organism. (laughs) Um, It's the only organization who's been given all authority to bring solution. No other organization in the city, however wonderful that nonprofit may be, however honest that politician is, No other organization in the city, in the city of Cleveland, in all cities, has been given all authority. Jesus says in Matthew 10, I give you all authority. So there's tons of reasons why we don't. Political is one of those reasons. A feeling of inadequacy is another, or a lack of intentionality. In inadequacy, um, there's this great story about this congressman, Tony Hall. And Tony Hall visits uh, Mother Teresa in Calcutta. And he said to her, he says, Mother Teresa, as I look around India, the problem of poverty is so staggeringly huge. And even with what you are doing, it is just a drop in the bucket. It's just a drop in the bucket. And Mother Teresa looked at him and she said, no, it's not just a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in the ocean. But if I didn't do something, there would be one less drop. She went on to say, we can't do everything. Just do what is in front of you. Just do what's in front of you. Why don't we help despite the many verses in the Bible commanding us to help the poor? Over and over again, we're told to help the poor. Why don't we help? A lot of times it's because we believe that our drop won't make a difference. But God is saying it does. We need your drop in the bucket or the ocean, in the bucket of Cleveland, in the ocean of the world. We need your drop. Your drop matters. The Cleveland Drop Company, your drop matters. (laughs) To feed the hungry, to help the poor. So what do we do then? What do we do about this? Because we're, we're, in the, we're in the ministry of action. At Vineyard Cleveland, we don't just like talk about it. We do it. Everyone gets to play. 
If you're not comfortable with that, you probably won't find a sense of belonging at Vineyard Cleveland. I'm sorry. But we're, we long to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So when it's like Saturday and you don't want to go hang out with old people at the senior center, you still show up because that's what we do. We show up. And I don't want to do that, and I'd be much more comfortable taking a nap on a Saturday morning, and there's too much going on in my life, but I still show up. Because I'm committed. We're committed at Vineyard Cleveland to be being people of his presence, and his presence is moving. His presence is action. His presence isn't just for us to sit on a mountaintop and meditate the whole day. We are to get busy with the work, not just get busy for the sake of activity, because there's a difference between activity and authority. We've spoken about that before, but but we're a people who are to be getting busy and ushering in the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Jesus through our hands and our hearts. So what do we do? You can read and become aware. You can read and become aware. There's plenty of books on poverty. There are plenty of books on poverty in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. You can, if you don't like to read books, you can Google HUD in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County and you can find out how many, just how many of your neighbors are living in abject poverty. You can become aware. Awareness is a good motivator for action. You can read. You can become aware. You can read not just articles or the internet or books, but you can read the scriptures. You can read the scriptures. We love the word of God at Vineyard Cleveland. We believe that God speaks to us. And when we read the word of God and when we read passages like this, it may even spark something in you to start a ministry here at Vineyard Cleveland. We need you. We need your drop in the bucket. Maybe you have a heart to go serve the homeless downtown. Maybe there are like five other people who are sitting around you who have that heart too. And you could lead us as a church into caring for the homeless. Maybe you have a heart to see uh, homeless kids find shelter. Well, lead us into that. We need you there. You can plan to give to the poor. You can become intentional. You can plan to do it. You know, you can tell a lot about um, somebody by what their checkbook says. You can tell a lot about people by where they spend their money. And most every week we say that there are clear acrylic boxes in the back. You can plan to like bring an extra dollar and like drop it in there. On your way out, just drop a dollar. All of that money goes directly to and with our ministry, to and with the poor. Whether it's through Seeds of Hope, our food pantry that happens twice a month. Whether it's through some other initiative with the homeless or uh, the poor or the hungry or refugees, all of that money goes directly to the poor. Some of you need to write checks. I'm sorry, but some of you need to write checks. And we need to start caring as a community for the poor. We need to be intentional about giving. 
And lastly, do something. Just do something. Don't do nothing. Do something. Mother Teresa said, just do the thing that's in front of you to do. You don't, you are not Jesus. You're learning to look more like Jesus. Yes. But you are not Jesus. You don't have to carry the the burden of the whole world on your shoulders. Just do the thing that's in front of you to do. Do something. Whatever it is, do something. Eben, do something. We pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let all the poor people be blessed. Jesus is like, do something. Stop praying. Well, keep praying, but do something. Keep praying without ceasing. Don't stop that, but do something. Then you're Cleveland, let's do something. Are you tired of doing nothing? How many more Netflix shows can we watch? Let's do something. I'm so bored. Are you bored? There's so much entertainment. Are you bored with being entertained? Aren't you sick of being entertained? Let's do something and actually make a difference in the city of Cleveland. Let's hang out with refugees for like every week for like four years and do something. And get them a GED or get them a driver's license. Let's do something. Let's, have, let's host an event like stand in and, and gather all the churches and nonprofits in the city of Cleveland to draw awareness to the 3,000 kids who are homeless in Cleveland right now. Let's do something. Do something. Let's do something. Can we do something? Let's just, let's just do something together. Can we do something? When you came in, you received a sheep. If you have that and you wanted to pull it out, it's uh, a sheet on the city mission. And it's a yellow sheet and it looks like this. The city mission is a wonderful organization in Cleveland who is has a a long track record in the city of Cleveland for caring for the poor and caring for those who are on the knife's edge of survival. On the sheet, you will find... Numerous volunteer uh, opportunities of how you can do something that are ongoing at Laura's Home, which is a shelter for women, through inmate outreach in prisons. There's one-time opportunities where it doesn't need to be a consistent thing. You just give some of your time, done-in-a-day projects, meal provider, adopt-a-day at Pathways, Crossroads Funds, Men's groups come and provide fun opportunities. You can have fun even when you serve the poor. It's fun to serve the poor. Oh, great. I got to watch a football game with those people. Oh, great. I got to play board games. Who loves playing board games? Go play some board games with some poor people. That'll be fun. Back to school bash, trunk or treat in October, Christmas fair, just had it, next December. Keep it, keep it in your Bible, hang it on your fridge, do something. We're going to be a part of something to be if you wanted to throw that up. It's called Stand In. You'll hear more about this as we get closer in June. The stand-in, we're blessed to have someone in our church who works for City Mission, Billy, uh, Provident, works at the city mission, and is inviting us in and leading us uh, towards caring for the poor and becoming more aware and actually doing something with our lives 
Thank you, Billy. And so in June, we'll be a part of this stand-in event, which is going to be at Public Square. Churches from all over the city, all over the different counties surrounding uh, Cleveland will join on Public Square and will make people aware of the fact that there are 3,000 kids in Cuyahoga County under the age of 18 who would be considered homeless. Would you join us for that? Come to stand in in June. You're, you're going to hear more about it. But the main thing is, is that we do something that we don't just do nothing. Let's be a church. I want to be a church. I want to be a part of a church who helps the poor, who is known for that in the city, who takes responsibility. We walk away this morning. Don't, don't walk away feeling guilty. That's not God's heart for you. Let's walk away feeling responsible. We've got work to do. We've got some resources. Let's make a difference in our community. How does that sound?